1: Indeed, found no proscenium The voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. This week on the show, Vallejo Gantner, currently with Onyx Studio, an XR accelerator in New York City, powered by Onassis USA, will swing by for a chat about the state of art and meaning making in XR. Vallejo, you should know, is one of those people I learn a lot from every time we talk, and we we had a we had a fun chat this. Uh, not too long ago. And we get into the twists and turns of murder mysteries and take a whole sidebar into online dungeons and dragons. This this part was fascinating to me. Uh, with Scott Crampton of American Immersion Theater, which creates custom events across these United States. If you're not in the United States, they, they create custom events here in the United States. There you go. All right. Uh, but first... I'm already off script and giving you a couple of updates on the next stage, immersive summit and mini festival, which is coming up. Uh, Oh my God. It's basically a month from now, January 7th, 8th and 9th in Pasadena. Look, we've still got badges. Uh, and I know that some of you who had, uh, badges for here in 2020, uh, are like, well, where's, where's my badge? Uh, Check your inbox. We mailed a bunch of stuff on September 30th. Uh, you have discount codes. So please, I have people emailing me this week who are like, all, oh, do I have my, Where's I never got a code. And I know I sent the code. So please check your spam. Um, there's a lot of you. There's like a lot of you. And the lineup is getting really awesome. And if the conversations we had this week uh, pan out, is still going to be even more awesome day by day. But let me, let me tell you about uh, two of the things, the two things we announced this week, both of which are really cool. Let me start with the brand new, Uh, and that is Margaret Karrison, uh, who is the author of the forthcoming Immersive Storytelling for Real and Imagined Worlds, is coming in to do a fireside chat. Margaret has worked as, I'm going to read this direct from the bio, as a story lead, story consultant, and writer for multiple projects. These include Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, Star Wars Launch Bay, Hyperspace Mountain, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Now, I could stop because it's me. Also, I hope you're not playing the Star Wars uh, drinking game this time, because uh, apologies, R-I-P-U. Also, Avengers Campus, Guardians of the Galaxy, Cosmic Rewind, uh, National Geographic's Headquarters, the NASA Kennedy Space Center, Visitor Center's Complex Journey to Mars, um, uh, Explorers Wanted. That's the full title. There was a a line break there. Um, Margaret's done a heck of a lot, uh, and that would be enough. But this book she's got coming... We've got a. We had a chance to look at the pre-pub galley, or not the galley, but the a pre-pub draft. The galley's like the fully formatted. This was a draft, and there's stuff in here, just in terms of the way she organizes the information, that makes this the book that is going to be. It's going to be the the, the writer's bible for immersive work. It's going to be what everyone goes and gets. It's going to be the touchstone. It just is. The Publisher is, I believe Michael Weiss is the, the how you say that. Uh they're the folks who do like cinematography shot by shot and all those books, the books you find like in the bookstore, like in the movie section, like how to make movies, they're they're all there. That's the publisher. It's gonna be that book, right? For a generation, it's gonna be that book. And we've got her before the book goes up. Um, and we're gonna talk about the fundamentals of it. So really exciting to have Margaret uh in the mix this time big big shout out uh, to our board member Diana Williams for making that connection and thank you uh, okay so that's that's the new new now the uh, the campaign promise fulfilled we got cages for the mini festival cages which is this incredible rock opera uh spectacle that uses an immersive onboarding and intermission and and just just kind of Does this whole remix of what a night at the theater uh, can be? Uh, It's an amazing spectacle. It's here in downtown L.A. It was part of the mini festival before we had to shut down because of the initial wave of COVID. Before there were vaccines and everything, (laughs) I act like I have to explain last year. You know what happened? It was March of twenty twenty. You know what it was up. Uh, Anyway. We got them. We got 30 tickets to the Friday night performance uh, that'll be going out to the members of the summit community. Uh, we are. Uh, this is a really great week. If you've been, if you've been thinking about it, if you've been wondering if you wanted to commit, now is a great time because next weekend is when the survey goes out to everyone. And that's how we're going to determine workshops and ticket pulls. It won't be that you won't be able to get into stuff. There will be stuff, but um, the faster everyone gets those back to us, uh, the better uh, we will be prioritizing people who are prompt. Uh, there'll be a deadline, but there are some locations like the nest for instance, uh, that, uh, you know, want to get heads up as soon as possible. What, what they're doing. So um, if you're thinking about it, if you're on the fence, uh, I hope that helps push you over a little bit. Remember, we got Disney Imagineering coming through. We've got the Royal Shakespeare Company. We've got the folks making Arkham Asylum. Those are our friends over at Department Studios. We've got Meow Wolf coming through. We've got I'm gonna look at the wall. It's all on my wall. We've got the Room Escape artists doing the immersive gaming track. We've got a whole XR, you know, XR live track going on. It's uh. It's a it's it's the physical manifestation of everything we talk about here, uh, and with an eye towards creating the future of it all. Come on down, come meet your next collaborators. Come, uh, oh, I'm gonna say it. Come immerse yourself. All right, the next stage, passing a playhouse, January seventh through ninth. Right at the top of next year, tickets on sale now. Experience stage dot com. All right, there's the ad. I hope you didn't swing by it. Now, Catherine, with your headlines.
2: Hello, this is Catherine Yu, Executive Editor of No Prescenium. Here's what's in the immersive headlines for December 10th. Facebook announced that it is finally opening up Horizon Worlds, its virtual reality social space similar to Altspace, VRChat, or Rec Room, to anyone 18 and older in the US and Canada. Participants will no longer be required to have that invite to enter Horizon Worlds. This is seen as a big step forward for the social VR app, which has been in a private beta since late 2019. The Museum of Other Realities will present the Canadian Collection, a project co-created with Kaleidoscope and produced in partnership with the National Film Board of Canada and Canada Media Fund. A set of nine different VR experiences will be shown in the gallery in the MOR, separated into two chapters running from December 17th to March 11 and February 4th to April 29th. Selected projects include works like The Book of Distance, The Passengers, and Unceded Territories. Speaking of Canada, The Infinite makes its way down from Montreal and will splash down in Houston, Texas later this month. The U.S. premiere of the immersive installation, based off the ISS Space Explorer series, will be on December 20th. Visitors can expect a 60-minute VR and AR journey To the ISS and back. This experience was created by Felix and Paul Studios and Phi Studios in association with Time Studios. And you can flip back to episodes 311 and 313 of this very podcast for more from the creators of The Infinite. Niantic has announced that its Lightship Winter Challenge will start on December 13th. The company will be offering cash prizes across multiple categories for AR experiences created using their new Lightship platform, where developers can use the foundation of games like Ingress and Pokemon Go to create brand-new projects. And if you've got Snapchat and happen to be in Boston, check out a brand-new project created by XR creative technologist Lauren Kaysen and Hashtag Our Stories. The new lens allows Snap users to view historical photos from the Library of Congress superimposed onto their real-life settings. Everything from seeing a snapshot of Boston Common in 1911, to hearing the story of Catherine Switzer in her own words. Switzer was the first woman to officially register for and run the Boston Marathon. The experience is available now for free. Lastly, across the pond, London's Vault Festival is planning to return for the first time since 2020. The festival will run from the 25th of January through the 20th of March, with thousands of performances across theatre comedy, cabaret, and other forms of live entertainment, including a number of immersive projects. Walt Festival is the UK's leading independent showcase of live performance and artistic talent, and we are truly very glad to see it come back. These are your immersive headlines.
1: Joining us now is Vallejo Gantner. Most recently, he served as Artistic Executive Director of Onassis Foundation USA. These days, he's helping to guide their Onyx Studio an XR Accelerator in New York City. Uh, Vallejo is part of the uh, Artisan Transformation Grant Board that I serve on. We've had lots of great conversations over the years, and I decided, hey, Let's record one for once. Yeah. Yeah. So Valeo, we were just having a good one. And I was like, I better, yeah, right. better
3: start recording. We better hit record.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Valeo, um, just, just for people to get a kind of a sense, you were just sort of saying this a minute ago, because we were spinning out of yeah. kind of having a loose talk about NFTs and art and the art world. And the Onassis Foundation has definitely is a big part of the art world. And them having an XR accelerator is kind of... You know, in some realms, i would be considered news. I think a lot of people know that they have it, but your sort of mission is to pursue these emerging art forms. So I wonder, kind of in your own words, how do you how do you see
3: what you do? Sure, I mean, I guess my whole trajectory, uh, going back to being in the Melbourne Festival in two thousand and and and. Dublin after that and and then running PS122 in New York for 12 years and and then working with Onassis, but particularly recently with Onassis has been about trying to find new media, new uh, art forms, new ways of engaging with audiences and talking about ideas. And so, you know, when we think about how we're doing that, um, it's always been this search for different ways of putting the plug into the socket and and trying to trying to talk to people and trying to communicate um, and onassis kind of uh, particularly in Athens but historically here in New York as well has this really long and storied history and proud history of, of being uh, of, of being involved in that originally it was you know partly set up as a more of a traditional perhaps promotional kind of exercise for Greek culture in the United States and then became something that was much more about ideas, philosophical ideas and whether that was democracy or many others and they they would run exhibitions of antiquities uh, but recontextualized into a kind of the present moment. And then when I was brought on, it was really about trying to find different new performative ways, ways that were driven by uh, uh, different kinds of collaboration and different kind of partnerships. And one of the projects that we created with uh, New Inc, which is uh, the new museum's incubator for Artists working across tech and design and uh, new new forms was this uh, Onyx, um, uh, this XR accelerator for artists who are already on a trajectory, already on a path. And who are making work uh, that's immersive, uh, or in in the space that we would call extended reality. So, you know, that's that's what we've been looking to do. And 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 in Athens, there's a huge program that Anassis does, which anybody over that side of the Atlantic, I'm sure, probably knows about already. But you know, whether it's in new theatre, contemporary dance, visual art, film, um, or indeed in digital practice, and so there's a kind of you know, the interesting thing about this is that it's not just a kind of an accelerator or a place for people to base themselves, but actually something that we conceive of very much as a kind of transatlantic bridge for people mm-hmm. making that kind of work. Um, that's part of the excitement of it.
1: From your vantage point, kind of the intersection of technology and art and with an eye towards like the the wider art market and and the 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 cultural aspect here. Where do you sort of feel that the XR art world is at the moment? There's there's (laughs) you were talking before we started recording, you know, there's a lot of heat around digital art because of NFTs and the blockchain technology. And there's a lot of people flooding in seeing kind of a collector's market in here, which kind of mirrors the art market that's existed for you know generations um i'm wondering when it comes to the modes of communication and the kind of the 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 topics people are tackling are we are we are we sliding to a pop art moment and away from kind of thunderous meaning or are we are we still well yeah i don't want to plant ideas
3: no no i I mean i think. Where are
1: we? Where the hell are we? Help going? me. Let's, help me understand. Let's, let's, You're let's, the people
3: I turn to to understand this stuff. Oh, I was hoping you could tell me. Oh, God um, damn it, man.
1: <laughs> this is all Steve's oh, in the podcast, by the way. We yeah, <laughs> all, all just lo- lost. I'm lost.
3: <laughs> We're all lost. Um, I mean, you know, I think so. There's XR, the way, you know, which, and, and I think what most people hear, I mean, what the hell is that anyway? You know, <laughs> is it sleep no more and and immersive theater is uh vr which is what i think a lot of people think of as the is the sort of default that's what it is then there's augmented reality so work that you know where we would look at the real world on a screen and it would be enhanced or changed or challenged in some way yeah. i mean they were doing some of that
1: stuff in the macy's day parade right like and then shunting it onto social media like i woke up groggy on thursday saw an AR balloon set up and was like, oh, wow, really? They, they, they had that balloon? That's a weird balloon for them to have. And it turned out, no, it wasn't, it wasn't really there. It was an ad for Oculus that they like pumped through the Macy's thing. And I was like, oh, AR is here in this way to kind of trick us all about what's going on. It was very odd to me
3: that's interesting i yeah. mean that's moving it i mean we've we one of the members of onyx uh theotram who's this great greek artist working in kind of animation and but with augmented reality and with the intersection of performance and vr but and he's had a couple of sort of giant balloons that look like one of those, uh, Patricia Piccinini, who's this Australian visual artist. Uh, the the, the uh, she makes the, She's made two of these gigantic helium balloons that you can kind of ride in. And he's got these strange animal-like creatures that have been hovering over different venues in Paris and elsewhere that are kind of incredible. I haven't heard of it being commercialized before, so that's interesting. And I didn't know that that had happened in in the Macy's Day Parade. I mean, I guess the 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 when we when we th- when we think about that, I think there's been some element of what do I do with it? You know, it's sort of unsatisfying to look at it on a screen. It's less satisfying than seeing the object in real life, and you know, going up and but but is it, and maybe it's just our aesthetic kind of capacities catching up to the way the media is displayed. I mean, is it really less satisfying than standing six feet away from a painting in a museum? Mm. There might, But there is something perhaps still that about that physicality that feels significant. Um, and I think when we talk about, uh, and, and, you know, there's been some, forms of interactive theatre both you know when we're present in a venue with performers and kind of being asked to answer surveys on our phone or something or over the last 18 months obviously the kind of Zoom theatre interactive theatre digital digitally interactive theatre that you know, some of which has been able to push some some limits. Um, but I think we still haven't found our... F- I mean, I guess the thing I would say is XR as an art form as a, or as a series of art forms has, still is finding its feet. It's still figuring out who, you know, what it is, who it speaks to, who's making the good work. And there's always, you know... There's always a bunch of snake oil in any (laughs) new form. You know, remember like people throwing up video projections and calling themselves multimedia artists. uh, Oh God. 20 years ago. A lot of that in college.
1: A lot of that in college.
3: Not me. A lot of that. Yeah. Um, Not me, not me. Not me. Uh, No, I refused. um, I refused. (laughs) um, But I mean, you know, so, of course, it takes time for the work to bed down and, to, and for you to realise, no, that actually just wasn't a good work. The fact that it was AR or, or, or VR or, or, or digitally enhanced in some way doesn't mean that it still can't be bad work. Um, and, you know, I think with virtual reality, which is what a lot of people default to in the way they think about XR work, I think um, we've been somewhat stuck in that moment of like kind of being in a National Geographic exercise, you know, where it's hmm. sort of just about the immersion and just about the how cool it is that it's 360 and there's a sort of, uh, and it feels like that. And, and, you know, I think people like Stephen Chart and others are starting to push out, you know, narrative uh, into the form in a more effective way and, and kind of approaching it as filmmakers and as storytellers. Um, which is incredibly challenging in that form. Um, and the other thing, of course, about VR specifically is the barrier of the headsets, you know, um, and the fact that, you know, some artists are still making work just for the kind of HTC or, or, or some of these other uh, 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 non-consumer grade yeah. equipment, um, which means that the audience, which is already tiny, it's the people who own a consumer level headset, gets even smaller um, and, and the only people showing it are places like Onyx or the festivals, um, you know, New Frontiers or, or Tribeca Immersive or, or um, you know, uh, some of the guys in France and, and Montreal and Australia and elsewhere. Are, so there,
1: are there any incentives on, on that front for, for at this point for the artists to make it more accessible? I mean, I, I would imagine that, you know, Meta and Facebook – has some incentive to get, you know, in their eyes, content onto the devices. Um, and, but I also wonder, like, don't don't the artists want to crack out of the circuit? I love the festival circuit, but golly gee whiz, yeah. it's. I mean,
3: it it tiny. Yeah, and it's a world. lot of the time it's it's the same people. that... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, completely.
1: I well, know yeah, no, both. Both
3: you're right. Both the artists and the, and the and, curators and, as well. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, uh, so I mean, I, I think it's waiting for the technology to arrive that we which starts to make it make it accessible. You know, mm. I keep thinking about it in terms of televisions. Is it color television? which at a certain point we all just went okay yep i nope, can't survive without a color tv um you know it's just not it's not working for me anymore with black and white or is it 3d television which i think i suspect we've all resoundingly decided that we don't need yeah um yeah and so i think as that gets settled, settled out and 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 you know as we figure that out and i think you know it is going to be question when apple or and facebook and whoever else brings out that you know killer consumer product that is the new thing the way we approach this is it is is that going to be the thing that that means that we're going to be watching westworld in vr Mm. you know we're not going to be watching it on a flat screen anymore
1: um i I mean i don't know if we're ever going to they, they often push like oh you can have a tv the size of anything by like throwing like a quest on and i'm just like no i'm good like i want tv i want tv movie i want movie if i'm gonna if, if i'm putting the headset on it's gotta be doing something only the headset can do
3: right like well I, and 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 that's been the i think the issue with a lot of the notion of narrative is if you're a, if you're a dop or if you're a film director how the hell do you make a show where someone can be looking at the blank wall you know what i mean it can be looking exactly the direction you don't want them to look uh, how do you make that project I mean, how do you make it how do you make that narrative work
1: i mean one of the things i thought was really interesting was at the very beginning of this reemergence of vr and this this first crack through in the mainstream. This was oh god, like you know, seven years ago at this point. And we were it was one of the like the third VRLA or something like that. And the first one had been held on like the mocap stage at Digital Domain. And this was up at like New Deal Studios, which was an effects house, like way up in like the upper San Fernando Valley. So it was like, you know, S- Silmar or something like that. I'm getting the names wrong. And they had done some uh, they did some 360 shoots. This is back when everyone was still really heavily 360 and, and folks hadn't even figured out you know whether or not editing was gonna really work. Everyone assumed editing wouldn't and that that got proven to be wrong, but it but it's tricky. and the leads over there said this was a lot more like directing theater than it was like directing film, which you know both of which they had done and the way they were orchestrating and like i I think of like you know. You know, like a big wonder that you'd see in, you know, Touch of Evil or you'd see like in a in a Coron film. And and that sort of sensibility of orchestrating masses of humanity and maybe even orchestrating camera motion. Like that's where the thrill can come from in this form. But if you're so reliant upon cuts and close-ups, and sort of really kind of a a television framing of action, you're kind of going to be SOL because you don't have this kind of operatic sense that's required to draw the eye
3: around the space. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, but that's, that's the thing. It's a, it's a different way of Mm -hmm. telling a screen based narrative, isn't it? I mean, it's completely, it's, it's, it's a completely different approach and i think
1: i almost imagine like
3: you're you're wearing a big cumbersome box on your head yeah yeah (laughs) even though i I probably yeah i
1: don't yeah I, i don't use mine as much as as i as i think i would i've got plenty of stuff for it and there's I feel lazy because like I'm not doing the exercise routine I usually do with it, and I love like I, when I use it, I love it, but just like um oh, putting it on, it's it's literally a foot and a half away from me, and I'm like it seems so far.
3: <laughs> Wait, do you do those exercise? Do you? Do you use I look supernatural. Yeah, I like it a lot. I actually, ne- I've never done it. I've always I, thought that's absurd. Who would do that kind of thing?
1: <laughs> so, I mean, part of it's the fact that like Chris Milk and his team go out to like the most amazing places on the planet. Like, you you can do calisthenics in front of uh, in front of Petra, right there at the big library, Correct. or like in Luxor, or on a mountaintop in New Zealand. It's stunning. So it's like the most stunning 360 photo, photogrammetry and and photography and videography you could imagine. And then it's like, okay, let's box. Um, so but they they also even have a this turned into an ad for supernatural. It's really nifty, and you should give it a whirl. If if nothing, there's a couple of there's there's some that are just like five minutes in the space with nothing else. And there's there's some absolutely gorgeous spaces that they go to. That's
3: the lure for me, anyway. All right, yeah. I believe you. I'll give it a bet. I'll give it a bill. Yeah, Um, yeah. But, I mean, look, I think until we – until the social piece of it, you know, there's the idea of sitting on the sofa and watching a movie with, uh, you know, with someone
2: Mm. in
3: headsets is not as attractive as Mm. it, you know, if you can't look over, you look right and see them and and see how they're enjoying it. That's a different kind of experience, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't even know how popular the –
1: like the group netflix stuff is where it's just like or disney where it's like hey you know click on watch here party. And, yeah well watch party stuff i don't know how popular yeah. that is. I, I can't you imagine like it. it being fun but that's just me
3: i i, I look at the, i remember in the early days of the pandemic um we were trying I, I, you know, I did it with a couple of friends, uh, not, not actually watch party. We just called each other and then all sort of hit play at the same time. <laughs> we, did, we did it old school. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, even outside of this conversation about XR, our experience of um, consuming media has become something that we do, I suspect, much more alone than we used to. Um, and it's funny, one of my other projects is this company called Hoovy, which is, uh, was about trying to create a distribution channel for independent films, docs and so on, where the screenings would happen in private spaces and it would re-socialise going to a movie because the Arab you know then the, the number and the variety of screens where we can go as a group and watch a film uh, is diminishing you know mm. uh, even in New York City um, um, and and we and even when we do that it, it, it tends to be very solitary and we and, and we immediately leave the that, that building you know they're designed to kind of funnel us in make us buy popcorn and then get us the hell out yeah um, we don't stand around or, and get you know we might And so Hoovy was there to kind of go, oh, let's have a conversation afterwards and let's have a glass of wine or, you know, cracker and cheese. Um, But so I think figuring out how to and and particularly as we come out of COVID, you know, figuring out how to re how to make these experiences, things that we do together and that feel meaningful is going to be, you know, massively important. uh, and'm I'm, I'm not sure at the moment that putting on headsets does that well um, not not you know if we just move in and out of it straight away. So
1: yeah that was really interesting this year with you know last year's Burning Man virtual burning man uh, was yeah. really well attended and populated and this year despite the fact that there wasn't an official burning man, there was like some unofficial ones going on and I think that was enough to like sap. The, the user base for the BRCVR. And I mentioned that because when it comes to the social stuff in virtual reality, that was like one of my highlights of my social year in 2020 was the virtual Burning Man. And just that That's kind so of interesting. Yeah. It was And it was this breezy feeling of just running into people and talking with friends and, and kind of going around as a group through a virtual space. Kind of a little preview, I think of like where things will ultimately wind up. But um, when it's competing with IRL, it can be it can it can be harder. You know, like there's there's that the social di- the social element of all of this is key. I'm I'm kind of a loner type <laughs> for the most part, so like I have to always remind myself how key that is for everybody. But um, having experienced good versions of that, I know how potent it can be. But it requires a, a certain critical mass. You don't have yeah. enough people in a spot; it just doesn't feel like it's happening.
3: No, it's true. It's um. Uh, and and it's clunky, in you know. <laughs> I mean, all conversations are awkward, so you know, IRL interaction can be clunky too. But um, uh, and and there was you know, it was funny in my sort of. I didn't attend Virtual Burning Man, but like going to Sundance this uh, mm. January. Yeah. Um, and they built this whole other environment, which you could do in VR or you could just do uh, through your screen. And it was fascinating kind of uh, seeing people and kind of going, oh, hey, you know, uh, and then there was that sense. And then, you know, we've also now got all of these um, what do you call it, proximity chat uh, projects like uh, Nowhere and um, I can't remember the name of some of the others, but, you know, that uh, yeah. John Morris from, and others from Windmill Factory have set up. And so, you know, that boundary is definitely being pushed and uh, it was remarkable how satisfying some of those were. Uh, um, but, I, you know, how much of that was in the absence of, being able to do it in real life.
1: Yeah, there was this, um, this this moment for me like, you know, before Delta hit, we did some in-person gatherings, and then Delta hit and like kind of knocked that off. And yeah. but then I also found myself very reluctant to go back to Zoom or nowhere or gather or any of it. As as yeah. much as I had enjoyed. Like we had mm-hmm. used nowhere a couple of times john was very nice and is like granted like i have i have an island i can i can spin stuff up yeah yeah right you know like it's i think i think you hooked me up with him right and and i and it's great and i love it and yet like sometimes i spend all day in front of the screen and i'm like ah (laughs) don't don't want anymore i mean Um, you're
3: saying that (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah if i'm saying that but but also you know that that's the flip side right like it's it's work for me so yes, it, it can sure. be very very different for someone who's who's not engaging with this stuff uh, you know in their nine to five times hey um you mentioned before we started on this this oh, this yeah. windy road we're on that there is some there's a project out or about to hit from onyx
3: yeah, we've at ONX, one of our artists, Winslow Porter's project, Tree, which I'm sure you may have done and some of the others. We brought it back to New York just to kind of because we felt like it needed a longer sit down. And it's running for a few weeks downstairs here at Onyx. Um, you can, uh, it's a, a kind of remarkable journey through the life of a tree from a seed to, uh, I won't, um, I won't. Uh, destroy Spoiling the ending it. for yeah, you. Yeah, no. Um, I, but, I've, I've um, done it. It's beautiful. So, yeah, and it's I know beautiful. It's, it's a really um, amazing piece. Uh, uh, and it's on for a couple more weeks. Uh, and we've got some tickets. It It runs Wednesday through Sunday each week. Um, and you can find it at uh, treeofficial.com
1: What's great about that is Tree is one of those pieces that's been... It's been around for a minute. I remember it was like there was a very early prototype that I did not get to experience that was at an accelerator that Oculus and Kaleidoscope did like Halloween weekend 2016. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was such a buzz around what they were doing. And then like the piece made it out into the world. And I know they've taken that all over the world. So
3: it's, yeah, I mean, it's amazing that that piece has been. I mean, yeah, literally all over the world. Um, yeah, um, and you know, as as a kind of a piece carrying a message, it's fantastic. It's beautiful, and you know, uh, as as the start of a narrative as well, I think it's fantastic. It's 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 remarkable, and it's you know, these artists that we've got downstairs are absolutely thinking about that. What Sarah Rothberg was doing during. Um, um, Tribeca recently with these new conversations and trying to figure out new ways of having conversations in that VR space mm-hmm. in a moment where we've kind of been, you know, what does a meeting look like now? Um, and how do you kind of sort of uh, make, how do you represent the objectives? Or, you know, Sensorium uh, and those guys and, and Metamorphic where it becomes a really social experience. I think people are thinking all of these questions that we've been talking about, they're thinking about them and they're trying to kind of crack the code. Um, and there's some super interesting experiments that are, that are happening that will do that. But, you know, the technology's got to catch up, the audience has to catch up. And I'm not sure the answer. I'm not sure the answer is in the form of an NFT. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, which will which will
1: please half the audience and inflame the other half. Uh, if folks want to catch up, we, we know tree officials where to uh, hunt on tickets for tree. But if uh, folks want to follow what's going on on X Studio, uh, how should they track y'all?
3: Uh, they should uh, check us out on uh, at uh, onx.studio um, and they can follow us on social media at OCCNY on most of the, you know, um, most of the, what do you call them, platforms. Uh, or me at Hyperjetlag um, is where I exist on Twitter and all of the others um so and, and giving usual travel itinerary probably also literally yeah, in hyper that's mining. that is literally my sadly my state of being far too often um uh, and uh yeah there's uh come down and check out tree while it's still on um it's a beautiful work and uh Keep an eye on this space because I think as we go into next year, we're starting to think about all sorts of different collaborations with performing arts, with visual art, with filmmakers and beyond. So there's a lot going on. Um, we'll be looking for new members uh, at some point soon. So for the artists out there who are interested, stay in touch and uh, and come on down and check it out anytime. Fantastic. Thanks for the help. Thank you.
1: Joining us now is Scott Crampton, the founder of American Immersion Theater, uh, which has been around since 2001. Hi, Scott.
0: <laughs> Hi. Hey. I'm really excited to be here. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I absolutely love uh, listening to anything about immersive theater, and uh, so I'm excited to be a part of this podcast right now.
1: So Scott, take us back uh, to the turn of the century, which is how we have to refer to uh, it now,
0: um, and uh, and
1: what when you started American Immersion Theater, what what were you starting then? Because that was before, you know, that was before the current immersive renaissance we have. So obviously, like back in the eighties, there yeah. was camera <laughs> and all this other stuff, but it was pre Sleep No More and all, all of everything.
0: It, it was. I I literally remember um, in the first year or two we tried to. Uh, get onto wikipedia for seo purposes and we couldn't get immersive entertainment or immersive theater on wikipedia like it was viewed as a non-relevant subject um like they were they wouldn't even term it they didn't believe it was a coin thing uh and now look where we are it is it, it's an absolutely incredible uh the the absolute explosion of it um so yeah uh i can tell you a little bit about kind of how it started and everything like that um The briefest bit about me is, you know, I was born with a cleft palate. Um, So I kind of, basically, it's a hole in the roof of your mouth. Um, So I spent most of my life, uh, about 18 years in speech therapy and surgeries and stuff like that. And I got to a point where they basically told me I could do anything I wanted as long as it wasn't in like public speaking. So then I spent the rest of my life trying to be in public speaking. So really this is a story of spite, but, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, you know, I, I wanted to do theater. I wanted to do something like that. It was hard for me to really get parts. So I I think I fell into the idea that I would have to kind of create my own thing. Um, for the first thing I really did with that was haunted houses. So I used to be a haunted house designer for uh, quite a while. And um, while I was there, I ran, I was just walking in the street one day and Literally, a friend of mine was like, just you know, I met in college. He was just like, Hey, do you know anybody? He ran to me, Do you know anybody that does murder mystery dinners? And I'm like, No, I'm sorry. And he's like, oh, I run this place, we're looking for him. we can't find any place. And he's like, Hey, you do theater, do you want to do murder mystery dinners? And I'd always had a teacher that said, Um, you know, if you get a job in theater, anything in theater, no matter what. You just say yes yes i do like so if they ask you like hey can you you know uh wrestle an alligator you just say yes i'm an expert alligator wrestler and i'm happy to wrestle alligators um so you know i just told them yes yes i do and um i am very well versed in murder mysteries and then i went home and talked to my roommate and we kind of put something together And we started doing murder mystery dinners. And um, so that was the start of it. The start of it was the murder mystery company. Um, And that's all it was for quite a while. It was like murder mysteries and uh, immersive, like um, improv stuff. And when we first started doing them, we would do them in this very normal way. Like the way you would expect it when you kind of close your eyes. Um, But I've always liked the part of theater that's about... The other people. You know, ultimately, I think the problem right now is the value of watching things has absolutely never been lower. Just to watch something. Um, I use this when I train directors, I use this quick example. So no, Noah, Noah, for example, let's just pretend that you found the last work of Shakespeare that had never been performed in ever. never been performed ever. And um basically, uh, you get you know, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie and everybody that's big to perform this thing. Uh, it's a real Shakespearean play. It's the first time it's ever going to be performed. It's $30,000, $40,000 a ticket, and you get two contest winners. They win tickets to see this show with the most amazing people. It's, it's absolutely this breathtaking thing. Even if they fly out, you do it at the Globe. They win the contest. It's all this different stuff even if you put on the most amazing play that has ever been put on in the history of the world, people will still go home and likely turn on the TV before they go to bed, which means that even then it's not the last thing that they watch that day. Mm. And I've kind of always had that in my head of like, um, it's about, I wanted things that were more about the audience because I was always frustrated just watching things, watching things. So we kept pushing more and more of this boundary And eventually, we got to a point of people want shows that, you know, for six people, 10 people, and in the nature of murder mysteries, you can't have a two-person cast inherently because, you know, one person dies and the other person did it. It's not a very good mystery. Um, So we decided to start, what if we said, well, what if the audience were all the suspects? So we started testing out these things uh, where literally we would, you know, give hats, give characters, give bios, give all this different stuff to the audience themselves. And that's when it really started catching fire. That's when it started becoming big. That's when we started getting people booking multiple times because the show itself was about them. And it became all just about investigation time. Um, We filter a process, but ultimately it's about the audience actually getting up being a character, being part of something, and interacting with the professional actors, but most importantly, interacting with each other.
1: Uh, so, when you say yeah. when, you, when you when you know that there's like professional actors involved, like what is the ratio here that we're talking about? Is like yeah, like one performer to like six, like you know, one performer like running a show for like six people. Do you get like you know, like you have a number of plants going into things? Maybe
0: uh, we never use plants right. ever. Um, so that's a big thing. It's used commonly in murder mysteries. Um, we never use them. And one of the biggest parts is people know who a plant is most of the time, because you're like, I can't help, but notice that this company party has one person in the room. I don't work with. Um, it's weird that it's his first day. So we don't use plants. We go rely entirely almost on the audience to, uh, we, we always say we're the, we trust the audience more than any other theater on the planet. Um, the audience it has a lot of free reign here. Um, they have stuff. They have things they know. But uh, as far as ratio goes, uh, you know, if we did like a 200-person event, we'd have between three and four actors. Um, if we did the most common event we do is like 50 people. And that would have two actors at it if that gives you kind of a scope. Uh, There is a level, we do one actor shows uh, fairly frequently. We try to keep that around 15 to 20 people. So it doesn't, it scales in a weird way because ideally you want maybe two actors so they have the ability to work a room and, you know, do some basic stuff that's part of a theatrical experience. But one thing to mention for your viewers is we are very largely uh, a private, you know, a private events company. We are booked a lot for private events. Um, now we do public events too, uh, to, and uh, circa 2019, we would do, you know, maybe like a 1,000 to 25, 20, uh, sorry, 1,000 to 1,200 public, individual public performances every year. Um, and we're probably relaunching that um, coming up in this, Uh, next year here but uh, that's a little bit about it Um, and then we've expanded on that we opened up famous for a day which is a uh, theatrical experience in which you are basically famous and um, we do it live on the streets and stuff we pretend to be the paparazzi your bodyguard all this different stuff and it plays like a trick Uh, we run the Princess party company uh, which is pretty much a immersive version of how princesses are supposed to be Uh, superhero experience is almost the exact same thing as the princess party company we run atmospheric entertainment which is basically immersive actors for when the customer just has an idea that they just want to have happen so for example they want wedding crashers at their own wedding but who do you call for something like that and you would call us for atmospheric entertainment uh, and then our newest one is Camp D and D, where we do kind of this different version of Dungeons and Dragons. So I know that's kind of sprawling and expansive, but that's uh, that's everything we do.
1: Well, on the on the Camp D and D one, so is it kind of is it a LARPing thing or is it more tabletop? But just like some, uh, so, basically,
0: you know, it, you know um, we had to pivot obviously during um, the yeah. time in which it was illegal for to do what we do. It's it's so weird. You never would have except, expected that like theater would be illegal, but there it was. Theater was illegal. So, um, you know, we pivoted and I've been a big Dungeons and Dragons fan. So we took uh, the idea of what it's like to do on Zoom and we made it differently immersive. One, we shortened how it worked. We made it so it could be like tickets to a show because the inherent problem with um dungeons and dragons is it's hard to keep going anybody who's ever played dungeons and dragons knows that like oh it's great but then you know noah's cat is sick this day so he can't dungeon master so we thought we were playing tonight and we're not playing tonight yeah Um,
1: keeping a group together post post college is really so hard really difficult yeah Yeah, you know like
0: yeah my idea was just to make one to make it like the movies where you just buy a ticket online. If you feel like playing at six o'clock, it's five o'clock. You can just say, I'm buying a ticket for the six o'clock one. You go in and you're playing with a professional dungeon master. But what we've done is we've mirrored the zoom vibe with one, making it shorter at two and a half hours to avoid zoom fatigue Uh, Two, making sure that it's something that's reliable, always happens something that you can just pick out and go. But three, we also do kind of immersive videos as well we feel like videos help break up uh, so uh, break up the actual like monotony of the theater of the mind and i love theater of the mind don't get me wrong but i think that over zoom it doesn't take as hard so um so you, do know, you like
1: cut scenes or interstitials yeah yeah, yeah okay. we, we
0: shot mm. it we we rented out um evermore which is you probably know your people know who oh, evermore, yeah. evermore yeah. is we rented evermore uh recently kind of like a you might say a midlife crisis thing that i did for myself and uh we shot just you know um almost a year and a half of cutscenes there with you know People dressed as elves and orcs and everything like that. And well, you know,
1: this I have- is this is actually this is really fascinating. To me. So, so you you shot all these cutscenes. So you have different scenarios. So, like, are you running these as a campaign? Are you running yeah, these as like one-offs? They're, or- a cam-
0: they're they're they run as a, a fluid campaign where basically right now it's going to be like a, a two year journey essentially that you could make. Right. um that runs in the same world then eventually we kind of feel like the gap of characters and new players starts you know becoming too hard after two years so it's kind of like uh get to level 10 but yeah you can check it out camp dnd online.com and that's um my cheap plug cool <laughs> but uh, no because yeah. i mean
1: it is like that that idea because it- you're beyond not wrong about how hard it is to keep a group together. And there is this phenomenon of professional dungeon masters and, you know, the, the scenario, like the, the published adventure, like, I mean, when, when you're, when you're young, when you're like in your twenties, you're late in your teens and you're in your twenties and maybe even early thirties, like the idea of tussling with a, a published adventure for like a certain type of game master is just like, ugh. Never, right? Which is definitely like how I was and partly am. But as you get older, you're like, oh, oh, all that prep work, like maybe not so much. It's impossible. Yeah. It's so
0: crazy. It's like uh, you imagine if you like really like soccer, right? And you worked (laughs) your butt off to put together like seven people to play soccer with. And you finally get out in the field and they're like, well, Noah, we're going to need a ref. And you're like, oh, so I can't even play soccer. Most of the people that are most enthusiastic about Dungeons and Dragons don't actually get to play. They on, they have to only DM because they're the the person that kind of says, hey, I want to let's oh, start yeah. playing as a group. Most of the time they have to DM. Oh, yeah. But I think the other side of it that they don't you know, talk about as much is, you know, if you have, you know, family dynamic, you have all this stuff going on. If you set aside time and you set aside like a Thursday night to play and then you can't, it becomes very devastating in a way for your schedule as well because you look forward to it all week and it just didn't happen and it's hard to kind of like pull those life favors you oh, know yeah. you know what i'm saying like the and you you played your favor card and, you know, you talk to your wife and you're like, well, you watch the kids and like, but the Dungeons and Dragons didn't even happen. I, I didn't actually even play. It's like and too bad, like,
1: buddy. Watch some Marvel yeah, movies yeah. instead. You know, <laughs> like, good luck.
0: Yeah, exactly. You, know. you, you still burn the favor. I'm sorry. The, the, that was an Uh we, we all agreed that it would happen and it didn't. That's not my fault that it didn't happen. If you yeah. drove to the movies, you walked in, you bought a ticket and you sat down didn't see anything. It's so, so, still to, the time away from the kids.
1: But, but to Joel, Joel in in this specific, and it's funny when I'm talking about this, yeah. and, and maybe not so much other stuff, but because uh, we, we've got maybe like another five five minutes or here. But I am fascinated by this as a model because. So, so correct me if I'm wrong. The way the way it would work is, let's say there's a four story arc, and mm-hmm. and you know chapter one. And I go in and I buy my ticket and I play chapter one and then I take my character and then chapter two is coming along and like I'll buy a ticket for like chapter two whenever it's convenient for me. I won't necessarily wind up with the same people. Maybe I will. I might wind up with a different DM. But then the cutscenes and everything are consistent, so the story still unfolds. Yes,
0: that's that's the thing that's so magic. The story is the story is essentially the same. Like so, all these different DMs, you know, thirty different DMs are essentially all on the same page. Uh, so you know, it's a different, it's a little different um, Dungeons and Dragons experience. It really is. It's you know, I, I'm aware that you know Dungeons and Dragons in concept is. Immersive in anything can happen. And that is a great thing. But the problem with that is that locks you to one group one, uh, one time slot, one human being that can yeah. keep you going in that story. Um, so there's a touch bit of sacrifice but there's also a nicety in the concept of the structure um it has built a fairly large discord community where these people that never had would have met otherwise you know they're meeting all these different people so you don't just meet like six people that like dungeons and dragons if you play for a couple months you might meet 30 40 people so yeah. in a sense it's one of the best friend makers and that you can do
1: and it winds up being a little bit like you know game store vibe right like you know like the people playing the back of the game store but also you know i had a friend of mine here when he was living in la like try to put together like you know a a group by like you know doing the classic thing of like posting up some notes on craigslist or whatnot and we got together a group and it was a really weird group and i was just like this is like (laughs) uncomfortable and strange because like
0: exactly he and i have been playing yeah for
1: you know, on and off, all kinds of role playing games, like of every genre, for like you know the better part of twenty years, and then just have some random dudes we didn't know, like who just didn't mesh with our style, and that was like, oh, but this idea of like, hey, here's like a public neutral space, you plug mm-hmm. in, you play, you know, I, I'm sure some of the dynamic goes, you know, winds up being settled a bit more by the the structure than it is necessarily by like the nature of the group, but then you start to get to maybe become, yeah familiar with other people in the group and wind up getting uh, that uh, uh, you, you
0: a lot of fr- There's a lot of friendships based. And honestly, yeah. like, isn't that what immersive theater is supposed to be? It's supposed to be about taking, you know, the world that you know and being able to empower people. You know, the American Immersion Theater's message is all our companies have the same exact concept, which is we empower people to participate. We don't do anything that doesn't do something involving that. So if you don't mind me spinning for a second, just like on princess parties, the one of the things I noticed about princess parties, which I'm sure for some people are like, uh, princess parties, vanilla, right? But one of the things that happens in almost every princess party I had booked, seen, audited, observed or something like that. Um, which is by the way, a very hard thing to do for a 40 year old man. I had to buy a lot of friends, children, princess parties to get a good (laughs) grope, get a good, like a look on this. But it's basically like, they show up right and it's about them being the princess right i'm like i'm A- I'm ariel hi i'm ariel take pictures with me i'm ariel watch ariel sing watch this watch this and then they kind of wave sing you happy birthday and get out of there and i'm like this is just about the actor who's playing ariel being cool it has nothing to do with the kids it's so it didn't empower them. So what we do is we change it up and we have the princess walk in and immediately they're looking for the birthday boy, girl, they, them, and they're giving them a certificate saying you are now a princess or a prince or whatever they wish to be. And then their whole thing is about training them proper ways to be a princess. Maybe that's etiquette. Maybe that's Stories, maybe that, but they're building a relationship with the child and making it very little about them being a princess. They're using the power of being Elsa to empower kids to feel like they can participate, like they can be a part of something bigger. Yeah. And that's what I really love about immersive theater. It empowers people
1: what a, in a what way th- that
0: no other theater does.
1: Well, one of the things I think is really interesting about this, you know. Two-year journey we've been on with live performance spaces having to go online and people kind of questioning like yeah. what is the nature of theater what 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 even is theater in a world yeah. like you pointed out someone goes to a play it's amazing it's got this incredible cast and then what are they going to do when they get home well they're going to try on Netflix or they're going to watch something because yeah. they need to spin down because that's how we've acculturated ourselves and the thing I've really stumbled on and particularly the thing I think that sets the online stuff. Uh, a part is this sense of community and connection and that mm-hmm. what the the theater isn't the building the theater is the community around the collective act of storytelling story listening and when you know to, to yes. kind of run the way say like you know ilmx lab talks about story living right and we're all yeah. living a story together and yes, and those absolutely. processes yeah and that and that's something that theater's always given us but i think that we've we've gotten far too caught up as as theater people particularly in in contest with movies and television just thinking about like well like we're telling better stories or or you know how can we this be more spectacular or or even like how can it be more interactive when it's really about hey who are the people? What is our audience? How are we relating to our audience, yeah. and what are what are they're, what are we giving the, them?
0: Yeah, they're the customers. Uh, I just, I'm always amazed on how that is lost. I, I completely preach on what you're saying. It is so true, and it's so nice to be being interviewed by uh, you know somebody who really loves immersive theater, uh, like I do, as opposed to most of my interviews, which are people saying what is immersive theater and <laughs> you know stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd i love to share with you kind of like the one rule we start all of our directors on, all of our actors with. And I think it's the thing that people forget about with theater, which is, you know, we, we call it lovingly the Aerosmith rule. And um, basically the idea is we tell, you know, we say, hey, look, uh, and for your viewers at home. Pretend for a moment you're a huge Aerosmith fan, like just a super fan of Aerosmith. And I take you to 10 Aerosmith shows in a row, right? And the first nine, you know, you have the best seats. You have the, you know, they sound better than they do in your car. They sound better than the CDs. They're playing all your favorite hits. You have the, your favorite snacks there. Everything is just amazing. And then on the 10th show, you're like behind a guy with like a big hat and they're playing a lot of the new album. You're not a big fan of the new album. Uh, and you know, there's kind of like a vibe where it like seems like the bassist may be drunk. Steven Tyler is a little horse. Things just are not going well, but for the encore, Steven Tyler takes you by the hand, brings you on the stage and you get to drum a little bit for walk this way. And then I ask everybody and ask the viewers right now, which of those 10 shows is your favorite show? And inherently- well, well, I can't
1: drum, so I'm actually going
0: to be the exception it, to the rule. And the whole well, thing is, it's not about drumming a little bit. It's about you were up there. You got to put, you know, what is drumming for the walk this way? It's boom, 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 boom. Right? But you got to go up on there. You got to be a part of that. You got to, you know, be a moment in time in which you were as special as Aerosmith was. And in general, that's what inherently people, uh, what theater tends to forget about. Because I think theater by its nature is a search for perfection. It's doing the same play. That has been done um, you know, a hundred thousand times. It's having a professional person hit a professional spot with a professional light that's been choreographed and rehearsed. It's a nature of perfection. But the first nine Aerosmith shows are perfection, but they're always going to be trumped by interaction. Interaction, in my opinion, trumps perfection. And I think we search too much for perfection and not enough for that interaction element. So in all of our shows, particularly murder mysteries in general, people are, the actors are trained and trained so hard to make sure that they are leaving people with a story of something that happened to them. What is their unique experience that they had with that actor? And it should be wildly different all the time. It's hard to be simulatedly the same. D- does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Like, I, I I, think that, you know, that idea, I, I, I like that there's a poetry to this idea of, you know, we usually think of it as a term in terms of trying to hit the perfect performance, but it's, it's not about that in this form. It's really about the moment where together the audience and the people making the show become one in the same.
0: Uh, so, in a, in yeah. a sense. And, but to me, it's um, to dive a little deeper into that. To me, it's about the individual moments that you build in, not for them watching and collectively doing that. And yes, theater is lovely and it can change lives. There's so many great things. But immersive theater has the ability to be so individualized. And I hear you all the time. You're talking to people that, you know, they have seven people in the room. They have 10 people, to 10 customers in a room at the same time. And the reason that it's so small is it allows for this individuality, this individual experience. Um, and, you know, if I had one thing that I wish I could do, that I wish that, uh, I, wish that I could just open a full school of, you know, immersive uh, training for actors because it's completely different then in a sense I do, you know, we have about 5,000 actors uh, that work for us. Um, At least we did in 2019 rotating throughout the year. Now we're probably more in the 3000 range in the 2021, but I digress. But, you know, to be able to reach out to people, it's different than what they teach you in theater school as a person who graduated with a theater degree. It's, it's about making an individual connection and making an individual story, an individual event happen for somebody you know?
1: Yeah. Scott, if folks want to follow up and they may want to book something or check out, or maybe try to become part of the 2000 actors you're going to be hiring on (laughs) in uh, 2022. Uh, how do they, how do they find you?
0: Oh, there's a lot of ways to, to find us um, because there's so many companies. So let's pick two. Um, you know, you can Google search the Murder Mystery Company or just Murder Mystery in general will probably come up. Uh, or the Murder Mystery Company, the Princess Party Company. Or our newest thing is CampDNDOnline.com. That's a lot of fun, and we spent some time talking about that. Uh, you can always try to search me. I'm, I usually come up if you search Scott Crampton on things. That's C-R-A-M-T-O-N.
1: All right. Scott, thank you very much for thank you so much for joining us on the show this week.
0: Hey, thanks and you know, always truly an honor.
1: Once again, I want to thank Vallejo and Scott. I also want to thank Catherine, who well, I'll thank again in a minute. Uh, that's the show this week. Hey, if you noticed, uh, no pick of the week. That's because uh, we talked about Arcane again on the review crew this week. That uh, that I mean that was the pick of the week last week. Uh, so uh, there's just there's there's only a few things going on right now. It's the end of the year. Um, that's how it goes. Here's what's up though. Uh, we will be doing uh, a uh, Critics Pick um, show soon, so we'll talk about our favorite things from the year. That's going to be coming up. We're we'll recording that next week. Um, we I've got some plans about what we're going to try to record. Also, uh, that 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 episode will air like right before Christmas. that will be like coming on like the twenty third. Um, we've also got uh, next week's episode. We will have our interview with Annie Saunders, uh, which we recorded uh, originally I was intended for this uh, episode, but I wanted to make sure. Uh, that we didn't wind up having like a, a, a ninety-minute episode this time out, um, and there is something I've got planned for next week, but that may not get pulled off. But we'll at least have an Annie next week. I am um, getting, I am. I talk about the next stage at the beginning of the thing because uh, it is consuming my life completely. Uh, it's it's every waking moment that isn't playing Halo, uh, and I only play Halo because it's out. Uh- <laughs> I play it to keep sane. Uh it helps. Trust me. If I'm if I'm embodying the Master Chief all the time, it helps everybody. It really does. I know that sounds weird, but like that 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 determined stoic nature of like we're just gonna solve humanity's problems by p- punching them. Uh, if only it was that simple. If only it was. Anyway, um I'm a happy boy, uh, at least on that front these days. Um we are getting into all the nitty-gritty details uh as we're a month out you know, uh, talking with sponsors, by the way, if anyone wants to come in and and sponsor, feel free. Uh, we've, we've got room for, for more, uh, and also to help us lay down the tracks on the, on the long run. Um, we have an amazing team working with us, uh, on this and we'll talk more about that when we get closer to the event itself, but it does, does, you know, take up all my brain space, um, that isn't with family stuff. So that means that the podcast, you know, shrinks a little bit, but uh, end of the year material is coming up uh, and we will get you a bare minimum of two more episodes, probably three if I have my druthers and we will probably take a bye week on the week of the summit. So no episode on January 7th uh, because I just will not have the time to produce it. Uh, And then we'll have something, probably a very light, maybe a team speak episode the following week. And then uh, we're pretty much right into Sundance coverage. So uh, we'll we'll get into that. In fact, I got to go answer some emails regarding that. So uh, the great machine spins up again. Will I get us another interview with Shari? I'm going to try. Is there something in my inbox right now that I need to respond to to make that happen? Yes, there is. So, uh, and if you don't know Shari, Shari Freelo, the curator of the New Frontier over at Sundance. And again, one of the the amazing people in in the constellation of uh, all things immersive and extended reality. Um, we'll, uh, I was nearly going to slide into some end of the year stuff. It's got a very end of the year vibe here uh, in LA. It's cold for us, which, you know. As uh, let me tell you, if if you're used to like 70 and 80, and it's like 50, like it's just cold. Your body's like, why is it freezing? And then you're like, it's not freezing, but still, my legs are cold. Uh, so it's cold. It's rainy. It's gray. Uh, all the vibes, and uh, I just want to kind of like curl up in a blanket and just watch the Matrix on a loop until the new movie comes out. So that's, that's where my head's at right now. But we've got a big event to produce, so uh, <laughs> I'm going to go to that instead. Now I'd like to give a massive shout-out to our latest backers here on the No Priscilium Patreon. They are Marley Magaziner and Abby Kritzberg. Thank you both. Um, we are, you know, our, our plan for uh, the end of this year is try to get to 400 backers. We're going to fall far short of that. But if anyone can jump in, um, you know, please do. Um, it, uh, it, it not only makes the, the living thing possible, but it, it gives us the confidence to, to keep going on. You know, we come back here, we make this show, we make all the stuff we do for all of you all the time. And the hope is that we, we get enough support over the long run that we can pay people to do some of the work to do even more work. And then it, it makes it even easier and seems even bigger. Um, there, there are folks who do not know that it is the, the Volunteer Writer Corps, um, Parker, Catherine, and myself uh, running around doing things. Patrick picking up a lot of the editorial slack here and there. Uh, Kevin and, and Leah, Leah Davis are starting to step into some of those roles as well. Uh, so it is, it is this team effort. But uh, it is it is people stealing time where they can. The only person who's full time on this stuff is me, and I'm you know producing the event, uh, which is also one of the only ways we keep it all going. So, whatever help you can do, Patreon.com/slash uh for the psychological support if nothing else. All right, the people who give me the massive psychological support, enumerated in our financial system, are are sustaining backers. They are Ari Hurstein. Brittany, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Genties, David Bassick, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Balthazar, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. The associate producer of No Persinium is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. Catherine Yu is the executive editor here at No Pro and does our headlines. The No Pro podcast is written, edited, yada, yada, by me. You know that. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.